The Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Grace and peace to you from our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Lately, I have become obsessed with Brandy Carlisle. Does anybody know Brandy Carlisle? Brandy Carlisle is a Grammy Award winning singer and songwriter who technically falls in the music genre of Americana, but her music crosses over to country and pop, and she has a wide and devoted fan base. Among her biggest fans and admirers are Elton John and Joni Mitchell. And if Joni Mitchell likes you, well, that's enough for me. This past year, Carlisle released her best-selling memoir called Broken Horses. And it's wonderful. And if you're at all interested in the book, I suggest that you get the audiobook Because at the end of each chapter, she sings songs, her own songs and covers, um, as a way of reflecting on the chapter that she's written. And one moment of the story that has stuck with me, and you won't be surprised by this, is the story about her baptism, or her attempted baptism. And it takes place when she is about 16 years old. And she writes, Most of my family and my occasional friends were all there at the church, sitting in folding chairs. But I was too nervous to chat. I was nervous about my swimsuit, nervous about having my head dunked, control freaks always are, and nervous about crying. I wanted, to, I wanted people to think I was cool, just like the rest of the kids who got dunked in the holy water and high-fived, only to return immediately to rolling around in the backseat of cars and drinking too many wine coolers. Baptism was the final step in my journey to community and self-acceptance. It was going to make me the same as everyone else, or at least a fellow purchaser of the same brand of fire insurance. I got to the church and was greeted outside the building by an unusually manic and smiling Pastor Steve. There was another kid participating in the ceremony, James. He was only 13, and he was ready to give his life to the Lord again. He'd been baptized Catholic, but that doesn't count to the Baptists. Full submersion or afterlife combustion. Pastor Steve took us into the back room together and asked if we had our swimsuits on. I was mortified, but I answered yes. And the next question tickled me. I was actually grateful to the good pastor for making a joke and breaking the ice. He asked, do you currently practice black magic or witchcraft? I knew I'd laugh too loud when he didn't smile. Uh, no, I mumbled, feeling my face get hot. All at once, I knew what was coming next. He looked like it was killing him to ask. He already knew the answer. 
I was the only person out of the closet in the town of Black Diamond and three towns over in every direction. Do you, prom pr do you practice homosexuality? I was a student of all the parts in the Bible that pertained to me. I hated the word homosexual. I felt it didn't belong there and always wondered why they let them pin it on us. I pontificated often in uncertain terror about the nuanced and cultural meanings of the actual Greek words, malakois and arson oiketai. In my opinion, two of the most mischaracterized words in the Bible often used to condemn and cast their misleading net over queer people for centuries. Two of the broadest brushes ever to paint a painful picture. I don't care for that word, I said calmly. I'm only being who I was born to be. Pastor Steve was sweating profusely. I know, he said, but I have to ask these two questions, and if you can't repent, I can't baptize you. My heart sank like a stone from the weight of the imminent embarrassment. What about this week, I asked. You know me, and you know my girlfriend. You let me grow through the training process. You know I'm gay. He went hoarse. I know. I'm so sorry. I said, okay, and I bolted. Everyone I loved was a blur as I ran out of the church. Not everyone agreed with my lifestyle, the most common, common dismissal of gay people in the 90s, but they all wanted me to have my moment with the Lord and feel supported. My mom and my dad didn't care for church and avoided it at all costs. So when I got to my parents' house, they were just putting out their cigarettes and leaving for the spectacle, always late. I told my mom what had happened and ran up to my room. My dad said he was going to beat up Pastor Steve. I'm going to kick that guy's, um, you know, he said. I knew it wasn't true, and I knew that Pastor Steve was beating himself up worse than anything my dad could have done to him. Looking back on it now, I see grace everywhere. There was grace in the outrage my public rejection incited in my family and in that tiny town. I hadn't fully seen it until then. That's how real heart change is made. Consciousness that shifts not as a result of triumph, but of sacrifice, and sometimes humiliation. That's where the mercy creeps in. This story, like the rest of Carlyle's memoir, is poignant, heartbreaking, and ultimately hopeful. Remarkably, she is still a person of faith. Recently, she said in an interview, I feel like I have a deeper spiritual understanding because I have to fight for it, she said. It doesn't come easy to me. I don't fit the mold. And in that way, I feel lucky, like I have a more intimate relationship with God than I would if I had an easier time with acceptance around the basic tenets of my faith. I see this story as a modern-day corollary to our story in the book of Acts today. The book of Acts as a whole tells the story of what happened to the disciples and Jesus' followers after he ascended into heaven. It tells the story of key leaders like Peter and Paul, new converts like Lydia and Dorcas, and it tells the story of the church figuring out how to be the church, asking, how do we gather, what do we believe together, and who belongs? It is this last question that comes up repeatedly in Acts and in our reading for today. Who belongs among the people of God? Remember, Jesus was Jewish, and so were his followers. He taught, healed, and welcomed people from other places, cultures, and experiences, 
But the Jesus movement was really only a small sect within Judaism. Jews who thought Jesus was the Messiah that had been prophesied in the Hebrew Scriptures. It was nothing at that time that you would describe as a separate or distinct religion. Even the story of Pentecost in Acts 2, which is considered the birth of the church, happens in Jerusalem during a Jewish festival of Shavuot, where Jews from all over the Mediterranean world had come to Jerusalem to celebrate. So even here, the Jesus movement is still a sect within Judaism, but it moves from being a local movement to a global one. However, as the fledgling church faces persecution and its leaders venture beyond Jerusalem, there are an increasing number of encounters with people beyond Judea and Judaism, non-Jews, called Gentiles. Philip preaches in Samaria, ancient enemies of the Jews, and some people there came to believe. Philip then encountered an Ethiopian eunuch, opened the scriptures to the eunuch, and the eunuch asked to be baptized in a pond along the side of the road. And Philip baptized them. Then the gospel spread to Lydda and Joppa, then Caesarea, and further out as more and more Gentiles came to believe. As usual, the Spirit was way out in front of the church, and the church leaders in Jerusalem needed to understand what was happening. That's what they're doing in our reading today as Peter offers his report, as he responds to criticism that he went to the Gentiles and ate with them. He relates this wild vision he has of a sheet and the animals, which is really about keeping kosher and ritually clean, one of the things that would clearly distinguish Gentiles and Jews. And then he says, The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had upon us at the beginning at Pentecost. If God gave them the same gift God gave us, who was I, that I could hinder God? That is an amazing phrase. Who was I, that I could hinder God? In the end, the leaders were silenced and then praised God. And this marks the beginnings of what we know of the church today. We read and discussed this text in our confirmation class last week, and it occurred to us that it was strange that these church leaders would be so doubtful and so critical about the gospel and spirit moving in this way because Jesus had done it himself. And we recounted stories of where Jesus had broken traditional boundaries of us and them, like when he called Zacchaeus down from the tree to have dinner with him. Zacchaeus was a tax collector Tax collectors were considered instruments of the occupying Romans and despised, and yet Jesus ate with him. Or when, before his death, he allowed an unnamed woman to anoint his feet. Women were not allowed to touch men other than their husbands, and certainly not so in public. And then there was the Samaritan woman at the well, lepers and the sick who were considered outcasts and unclean, and the list goes on. So the very same people who saw all of this in Jesus still question whether the word could or should spread to a wider circle of people. That says to me that this is a very human thing to do, to draw lines between us and them, to set limits on who is in and who is out, even imagining that we can set limits on God and the movement of the Spirit. Even after seeing Jesus do it, they were not sure And they wouldn't be sure for some time. 
the marks of their covenant culture and traditions like circumcision and keeping kosher, which were established by God to preserve their identity and culture and tradition, here bordered, bordered on becoming dangerously close to being exclusionary. And we can easily fall into the same kind of trap. One of my favorite quotes about the church is nearly 50 years old, and it comes from the French theologian Michel de Certeau in his 1973 essay, How is Christianity Thinkable Today? He says, The Christian movement is always the recognizing of a particular situation and the necessity of a new step forward. There is always a necessary risk in being different. It requires simultaneously a place and a further, a now and an afterwards, a here and an elsewhere. Boundaries are the place of Christian work, and their displacements are the result of this work. Or as I like to think of it, the church draws lines that are meant to be crossed. Here and now are not our final state, but steps on a journey about where God is taking us further and elsewhere, just as God did in Acts. In such a church, then, baptism, rather than a symbol of exclusion, as in Brandy Carlyle's case, is the act of the Spirit's transcendence of the lines we draw, where all are welcome to the living waters and united in the one body of Christ. Communion, then, does not require prerequisites or special knowledge, but is open to everyone who hungers for God. And our community is open to blessing and being blessed by anyone and everyone. For who are we that we could hinder God? Who are we that we could hinder God? Well, we can't, but that doesn't mean we don't like to try. Not just as communities, but each of us in our own lives. We all have ideas of what God can, will, and should do, largely based on our own previous experiences from the stories of others and the stories of scriptures, and mostly as a result of our limited human imaginations. And so we set parameters on God, perhaps without even knowing it. We put God in a neat box. But God is bigger than our wildest dreams. God is infinitely more creative than we can comprehend. God is always able to do more than we can ask or imagine. God loves every person in the entire world more deeply than we know is possible. And the Spirit still moves in ways that surprise, confound, challenge, and delight us. And I invite you to remember this phrase this week. Who am I that I could hinder God? Put it on your phone. Jot it down on a note. Come back to it through this week. Who am I that I could hinder God? And I think that you will begin to have a broader sense of what is possible. For as the scriptures say, all things are possible with God. And I'd love to hear about your experience with that. May we, like the church in Jerusalem, be open to the surprising, expansive, and loving work of God in the world and in our lives. And may we also praise God for all the ways God makes us one and leads us to new life. For who are we that we could hinder God? Amen.